Morning Liberty. Well, what is up, all of our Liberty-loving friends? This is another hopefully fantastic episode of Good Morning Liberty. My name is Nate Thurston. I'm the co-host of this program, and today's co-host of the show is Miss Amanda Griffiths. Listen, we talk to Amanda all the time. You ever hear us say, Amanda says this, we're in a live group? That's who we're talking about. And today, she's actually on the show. I could give her an introduction, but I'll probably mess it up, and I don't want to do that in front of Amanda. So I'm going to have her tell you all the great things about herself. How are you doing today, Amanda? I'm doing fantastic. So I'm a 100% victory. I'm undefeated in debates against Charlie, which is probably <laughs> my my greatest accomplishment. Mm-hmm. Um, every time that Charlie and I have debated, I've won that debate. Every so that's really, yeah, if I could get a plaque or something, that would be fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, I am also a contributor for Young Voices, uh, which is an amazing program. Anyone who's listening who uh, considers themselves politically heterodox, and that's a pretty wide net, uh, they they are constantly, they're so good at giving career uh, coaching, and they basically think of a talent and PR agency, but for people who are in writing and commentary um, and just trying to get their start and so I'm a contributor with them. I'm one of I'm one of their um, their people that they've taken on and they represent, which is super cool. Uh, so I write and I uh, I do commentary and broadcast media, podcasts on camera, anything. I'm also a PhD student currently at UCLA, which uh, I'm maybe the only. I think one definitely the only person I know, the only TA that I know who is still working right now because there is the largest strike in higher ed history. Uh, So I'm the live correspondent in the field for the UC system grad student strike. I'm I'm a black, I'm black legging. So I'm going to need some more information about this strike that's going on do you do you want to talk about that sooner rather than later or do you want to go into it in a bit that's up to you we can talk about it right now i mean so first of all i come at this from uh yeah i'd like to think a pretty holistic angle um and i i have nothing but respect for the people who uh, who do, who have been organizing, uh, and who are actually like at the bargaining table, even though I disagree with, um, with this particular method there. I mean, they're my friends. I know people that my dear friends are these major union reps. Uh, so it's kind of been rough. Um, but at any rate, uh, I, I really respect them for what they do, and I disagree with what they're doing right now. They have a lot of the same complaints that I do, honestly. I do think that grad workers are getting underpaid at UCLA, and I do ha- have a lot of disagreements and really think that the administration across the UC system, but I'll speak just for UCLA, has 
behaved egregiously at, at times, administration, uh, not speaking about the professors, not speaking with students, behaved egregiously with respect to mostly its treatment of undergrads. And the, the undergrads have borne the brunt of the burden of the past two years, is what I think. Um, therefore, to not teach and to refuse to teach, especially at a research university, I get emotional when I talk about this, especially at a research university, um, where so many of the professors are researchers and don't really like to teach, it falls on the TAs to do a lot of the a lot of the groundwork and develop these really core relationships with students and to turn discussion sections into seminars. That is what that is one of the things that drew me to UCLA was the independence that I was going to have in, in teaching and really the relationships that I was going to have with with these uh, these students and and my ability to learn how to teach and they have not been able to have that over the past two years and then to i i to refuse to work and have these students miss another quarter of something that they've paid for something that they've you know they're going to go into debt for something that they they care about a lot and i see it i know it because i i teach right now i'm teaching and it's it's just I can't get behind that. And I understand completely. I share a lot of the a lot of the concerns. And I, I share, you know, I would like a of course I'd like a higher wage. And I actually think that the grad students and the GSRs, the grad student researchers, the TAs deserve to be paid being paid a lot more, especially in Los Angeles. I mean, the we might be making well, I won't say, it, but it's very, very low. You can't live on this. You, can, you can't live on this, especially now. Um, and whereas I think that there were various opportunities and there remain various opportunities to make more reasonable demands of the administration in that regard, the contract as I see it has kind of been created to stage this. So, so um, you're, yeah, go on. You're saying that you don't uh, agree with the the way that they're going about it, but you do agree with some of the uh, grievances that that people have. So, what would be the way that that you would go about it? Well, what I would go about it is I, I would I would be making more reasonable demands. I wouldn't be demanding, you know, sixty five. I believe me, I, I would love sixty five k a year, uh, but I would not make that jump um what i would do honestly is when there has been a problem uh with something that i have encountered personally with payment or something i've gone to my supervisor directly last year uh, i had a different uh job that was designated a gsr grad student researcher job but assistantly I, I, or rather i was the assistant editor of the uh journal political theory and uh there was initially kind of a weird snafu with payment i could have made a big stink and filed a union grievance or i could have done what i did which was go to my supervisor and say hey 
I was told by the former editor that I was going to be making this and I'm making this, what's up? And within two days, not only was it resolved, but I and my co-editor were being paid more because there was a there was a pay raise increase. So, or sorry, a pay scale increase, pay raise. So going directly to the source when possible and when there is an issue with the administration, a lot of times the UCLA and UC admins function as middlemen, right? So they are... They can't really do the main stuff that people are very concerned about because that's a state level issue. That is really a state problem that has to do with, okay, what are the stipulations as to how we spend our endowment? What is our endowment? How this entanglement with, uh, with, uh, with the government, right? That is why things are so expensive. So address the problem at the level at which it is created. Sometimes it's lower. A lot of times it's much higher. Don't you don't be staging this hot nonsense and then, you know, doing it on grad students, I'm sorry, on undergrads backs and grad students backs. One thing I wonder when you're talking about all this is uh, I wonder if in this, uh, this university, culture with when all these people are talking do you think it ever this the conversation ever arises hey what could we do to actually reduce uh, cost uh, for going to school at our university uh, or maybe to cut costs so we can potentially um, hold prices steady for a bit do you think that conversation ever happens i know that's different from what you were just talking about but you know i'm just we're hearing about a lot of people, you know, pay raises and stuff like that. I'm like, man, it seems like we have a really big issue with with college being way too expensive right now. Is that a conversation? I'm sure that conversation happens. And you know what? I am sure that there will be a massive task force created <laughs> to uh, and, and maybe even a department, Nate, mm-hmm. that will help cut costs and it will be a huge massive we're going to need to put that in the budget but uh they're going to be a huge huge uh you know state funded so don't worry massive task force department we actually will need a department for creating the task forces Mm -hmm. because we have a lot of task forces now and so we need the departments that will decide on what task forces are uh then we'll need the payroll department for each task force and that'll be fine well don't forget Um, diversity don't forget diversity and and all that so you gotta make sure that there's diverse departments that are deciding all these things too uh, just yeah well that's that's for the dei mm-hmm. uh board um well but that, they don't have enough you know, people is... they don't have enough people to take on a whole other department though they're gonna have to hire some people probably to help with that we yeah we need a task yeah. force for that too we need a task force <laughs> for the hiring and then we so that's the problem mm-hmm. that's the problem and that's how that's how you think when you are steeped in i know this because i grew up in dc but but when you're steeped in bureaucracy, that's all you know. You just know task forces and tiers, and it's 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 really a very weird way to think. It is. Uh, this is totally off subject, but w- if we do end up talking uh, about this, which we will, this uh, this Ticketmaster thing, I went into another thing the government had done that they had botched the rollout of. And I read today uh, this this 80-page document 
that was detailing all the ways that they think now they had this big study commissioned and all these people putting on the study and how did they botch the rollout of this specific thing? Why was mm. the, uh, why was the website so terrible for the specific thing and what did they do wrong and what could they have done better? And I'm just trying to imagine all the people that came together to do this study and meetings after meetings to try and figure out how they messed this thing up. Uh, and that's just what the bureaucracy does they probably created a whole new department to try and figure out how they botched this new department and um i don't know if they ever get it i don't know if they ever realize the problem it's it's straight out of the brain of now i call him gavin with the good hair <laughs> uh our 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 dear beloved governor uh gavin with the good hair newsom that's his full name his hair's great Great hair. It's got really good hair. Yeah. Um, fantastic hair. Mm -hmm. A unity ticket between Gavin's good hair and uh, and DeSantis's good hair. I think mm. he's, he's got pretty good hair. I think I would, you know, I get behind that. Yeah. Uh, just the hair, though. <laughs> um, but anyway, so you know, if I am so excited to see him coming onto the national stage because he, I I've wanted to share him with you guys for so long. <laughs> He speaks in bureaucratic nonsense. I literally wrote an article. I wrote it and I sent the the draft to the um, to the editors at Young Voices, and I had a quote in there from him. And the editor had highlighted it and said, "Unpack this. What does this mean?" And I had to put in the comments, "No, it. I'm not being snarky with you. It literally means nothing." I don't, I can't tell you what it means because it doesn't mean anything. Mm -hmm. And this is, but this is exactly how he talks. This is exactly how he thinks now, of course, after the midterms, especially, I think he's going to double down even harder, fashioning himself as the uh, democratic Ron DeSantis, which we'll see how well that goes for him. We'll see how well that goes for Ron DeSantis. But yeah, the Democratic version of Ron DeSantis, which is just a lot of posturing virtue signaling types of legislation. I go we'll back see. and forth between being very excited and uh, about all the entertainment that we're going to have coming up. And I go back and forth between that and being terrified and just sad and depressed and thinking that nothing is ever going to get better. <laughs> And I'm trying it's, to pull yeah. myself out of that feeling right now. What do you do when you get into that feeling? Because I'm stuck in it right now as we speak. I'm in the, this is never going to get better. I need to shore stuff up for my family and make sure I've got the guns and make sure I've got the land because screw this, it's never going to work. That's currently where I'm at. How do you pull yourself out of that? You look at the people, I mean, you go out, you, you touch grass. And I mean that I, you, you go and you talk to people, I'll tell you even here, because a lot of times people will say, well, when I talk to people, they, they, I don't even I hear anything about the news. I'm a coastal elite. I'm a city elite. So, uh, I, I say coastal with my mid, my latent Midwest accent. <laughs> um, I'm a city elite. I'm an urbanite. And I do go out and I, I can't avoid crazy political crap. Even, even there, 
people are fed up with and 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 understand that so much of this is posturing and, and bs you know we go through cycles in this country we go through we go through cycles of unrest we we un, we undergo cycles of dissent and that's cool that's actually pretty healthy but when things get shaken up it feels like doomsday and it's not it is really truly not um when you again when you look at the numbers you know, more people than ever a, a plurality of americans now identify as just neither republican nor democrat and they're categorized as independent which is kind of weird right because mm. well no i mean you could say no i'm green party i'm libertarian whatever um people are just tired they see more and more uh you see more and more ticket splitting when you look at some of these really contentious elections. And especially what I do is I look at trends. I get really psyched about this. Mm. I look at trends in media consumption because before we didn't have the option to, to stream a three-hour podcast while we were cleaning our kitchen. No, it doesn't take me three hours to clean my kitchen anymore. Mm. Um, I've done some work. Uh, but we, we, we don't, we didn't have that option. So we need that quick sound bite at 6 p.m. after we got in when we're done with the day at work. So we needed that shock value journalism and that sound bite. And now there has been a true new media renaissance. And I don't say that. I say that as someone who studies the renaissance <laughs> there's it's been it's it's been a, an incredible decade in innovation there and now we have more and more just individual creators so when i look at these trends and i look at these trends that are changing and how people can and want to get their news People are gravitating toward more long-form stuff, more reasoned, thought-out, considered stuff. Uh, debates, yes. Uh, fire and clashing and rhetoric. That is the kind of thing that produces that good kind of rejection of institutional, clogged-up, slowed-down media. Uh, and I think that can produce real ideological and and philosophic growth at the level of anyone who listens to Rogan or streams Young Turks or whatever. So that's how I I look at I look at new trends in new media. Where are people getting their news and how? So I just need to turn off the news and I need to stop looking at the crazy people on Twitter. And uh, just yeah. realize that that's not an accurate representation of what's going on, more than likely. I mean, you can still look at the crazy people on Twitter, but because, uh, I mean, people need that for platforming content creation. But no, things are getting more and more long form and you see it, it uh, which I'm, I'm really stoked about. If it weren't for doing an episode making fun of crazy people on Twitter... I would not even look at Twitter at all, but I'm like, well, I have to go find stupid content. Like, where almost, uh, where right. else am I going to get that? You know, um, 
Right. So speaking of something that's uh, been in the news a little bit lately, are you a Taylor Swift fan? I know you're a big Taylor Swift fan, right? You're out there singing all of her songs. Mm -mm. I don't know why I switched. Mm -mm. I don't know why I switched to my Southern accent when I started talking to you about Taylor Swift, but uh, I guess it's just because she's from here in Nashville, Tennessee. And uh, I don't know neither. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, no. uh, So here's the thing with Taylor. So she writes really catchy songs, Mm -hmm. but I'm. I'm trained in opera, and so it's very difficult for me to to hear someone who sings off key. Uh, when I, yeah. even if other people can't hear it, um, so I can't listen to her singing. But if she writes a really catchy song, what I do is I find an awesome cover of it, and I'll, I will download <laughs> that. So maybe yes, maybe no. All right. If some covers of her work. Okay, so. It sounds like you like her way more than I do. But uh, but anyway, she's kind of a big deal. A lot of fans. A lot of people like okay, Taylor yeah. Swift. Okay. A lot of, I think they call them Swifties. I'm not real sure. I'm not up on all okay. the lingo. Uh, you know, I'm I'm getting I'm getting kind of old here. I am I am 35. So Isn't, is this um, squad? I'm not sure. I don't know what's going on. So if I'm wrong about that, someone let me know. One of you uh, T-Swift fans out there in the group. So where tickets go on sale, pre-sale, and they got to go on Ticketmaster. Now, what I heard is that Ticketmaster is a monopoly. So as someone who's interested Mm. in economics and free market economics, I'm like, okay, let's hear about this Ticketmaster monopoly. And I will admit to you, this is a complicated situation. I wanted to pick your brain on it because I'm not sure what exactly you would do to solve the problem if there is, in fact, a problem. Here's the devastation, the chaos that occurred. Bunch of people tried to get their T-Swift pre-sale concert tickets. They had to wait like three to eight hours and some of them didn't get tickets. It's it's pretty bad, right? I mean, that's terrible. A trip to Disneyland. I wanted to give you uh, the time to absorb the shock and let the shock wear off because there's terrible things going on here. You know, some of them didn't get tickets and some people had to wait a few hours. All right. The website got a little messy there for a minute so anyway and almost immediately the department of justice is initiating an antitrust investigation into Ticketmaster and live nation like literally already uh because all these people were so upset about the way that this so these millennials were whining about taylor swift i'm sorry that is the most normal one for my generation ever we're gonna get the department of justice on this because we didn't get our oh my gosh that is so thank you thank you america so amy klobuchar wants to break them up here's the deal ticketmaster and live nation they merged together in 2010 and uh, Amy Klobuchar wants to break him up. I'm sure Elizabeth Warren's been out that she never saw a company that didn't need broken up. And uh, AOC wants them ended right now. We got to get this out of here. Uh, there's a lot of bad blood between. Okay, so that's the squad. Like the squad merges with the squad. <laughs> I guess that's what's happening right now. So it's it's um it is a confusing situation. I don't know how much you've looked into it, uh, but. Live Nation, they're a promoter, and they've also kind of managed some artists. So they're like a show promoter. They merge with Ticketmaster. Clearly, Ticketmaster, they sell tickets. Well, Ticketmaster, they go out there, and they get a lot of exclusive deals with venues where those venues decide, they say, that they're only going to use Ticketmaster for their shows, 
And in return, Ticketmaster charges fees to the people that are buying the tickets. And the venue gets a cut of the profits from that venue's ticket sales at the end of the year, whatever the uh, profits are. So there's a uh, pretty good, but, um, so, uh, here's what happens. They end up deciding that they're going to, um, hold this pre-sale for Taylor Swift. It doesn't go well. The website crashes, you know, they can't get the tickets. Mm -hmm. This is because they're a monopoly and they have, this is because they're a monopoly and they have no competition. And if they had competition, well, then that wouldn't have happened according to everyone that is out there right now. Now we like competition as well. Um, I'm just not sure how much of a monopoly they are and whether or not breaking up Ticketmaster and Live Nation would solve this problem. And I just want to show some gratitude for the fact that this is a problem that we even have to talk about because... Jeez. Yeah. It's Taylor Swift. If this is your biggest problem, that that's on that's honestly what I think a lot. So I actually I this reminds me of the fact that so I have a favorite type of lettuce that I try to order from Instacart on the regular. I said Urban Elite. And when I can't get my lettuce, I get upset. And actually just today I had a I just, I just put in the Instacart app, I put a note that says, if they have more, just grab more. Cause it, I have no idea why it routinely goes out of stock in my area. I can only imagine why. And I just had someone, someone literally delivered a case of this lettuce to my door. And I looked at it, I was like, thank you, Instacart shopper. <laughs> this sounds like me with the lettuce, but it's just America now. And it's America and Taylor Swift tickets. No, a monopoly is, it, it starts with the word mono. So it means one. Mm-hmm. So as you like to say, as you like to point out, there are many places to get tickets. And no, this is probably what will happen is pe- leave people with a bad taste in their mouth with respect to to Ticketmaster and they will find those other platforms. The thing that becomes difficult is when they do have the exclusive uh, with the venue. And uh, even though like I never go to Ticketmaster's website, uh, but I'll use uh, this app called SeatGeek and it's normally pretty good at showing me tickets. Well, those are resold and they still originally, they went through Ticketmaster uh, through, through the venue. And even I'll buy on SeatGeek and it'll say Live Nation on there. Well, Live Nation Entertainment is Ticketmaster Live Nation uh, together. So they do still have, you know, like they've got a little bit of control. But here's the deal. They're saying they want to break up Live Nation and Ticketmaster because of this monopoly. They got 70% of the market, which means they're mm-hmm. not the only one. So right. So a word, monopoly would be 100%. You know, that's already. And I watched an explainer video about how they were a monopoly where they talked about how there were only this many other competitors. And then they named all these other monopolies (laughs) like publishing companies. Here's a publishing company monopoly. There's only five major publishing companies monopoly. (laughs) 
filters. Is this going to be video? The, is, are we putting the video up of this? Because my reactions to this, they did an explainer on monopolies where they named the only other competitors. Yes, they did. I don't have the video pulled up right now, but it's hilarious. And it has to do with breaking up Ticketmaster. There's like a book about it. And they're talking about monopolies and they're talking about their other competition. And they even name book pub publishers and they show a graphic of the five major book publishers that there are and call them a monopoly. Five of them. But, mo okay. So mono though, um, <laughs> uh, it means one. Mm -hmm. So mono, uh-huh. So it's, it's one thing. So mon it means one a monopoly is what the USPS has yeah. over mail delay. That's what a monopoly is what the government wants to have over your health care. A monopoly is what uh, the government wants to have over your retirement health care and retirement. A monopoly is what I could go on. I could list a lot of things that a monopoly is. Uh, a monopoly evidently is what I is Elizabeth Warren and Taylor Swift fan. Is she behind this task force? Is she behind this? She has to. Because be. I can totally see it. Mm -hmm. I can totally see her dancing and she's going to oh, try to make a TikTok video. Thanks for putting that image um, in my head. Yeah. I really yeah. appreciate that. Here's the uh, interesting part. So they control 70% of the market, according to Forbes. I found an article from the Rolling Stone from 1996 talking about Pearl Jam's fight against Ticketmaster. And they uh, were trying to get around Ticketmaster in 1995 on their summer tour. And they were upset with Ticketmaster because Ticketmaster was a monopoly. And at that time, in 1995, Ticketmaster controlled 70% of the ticket market. And then they merged with Live Nation in 2010, which is what we need to break up. That's what they want to break up because... Ticketmaster controls 70% of the market. People in the chat are asking this. Uh, no, no, no. In fact, I can, I'll can. i geek out on you for a second. People in the chat are saying, what about the poly part? Poly means many, mono, poly, one, many. All right, we're, we're dealing with different routes here. And <laughs> I will, I am turning into my Greek professor from undergrad as we speak. Do okay. it, do it. It's, it's a Greek word, monos which means one or single, and then the, the verb pulling, which is to sell. So it's a single seller. It doesn't mean it's not poly as in many, like polygamy, that would be a different, a different type mm. of, of root because a pulling is actually going to be spelled differently too than, than that poly version so you're you're dealing with it's not the same poly as many it's the poly that is pulling which is to sell single seller so jeff not maury says bon aqua tennessee i, saw, I, saw I lost it when i heard about bon aqua tennessee it's like that's like 10 different languages so i like the real-time fact check right there you see that's something yeah. that having you on the air with us right now. I mean, that's the kind of value that you bring to the table right there. Good job. I like it. Fact yeah. check. Okay. Yeah. Oh, look. Yes, yes, yes. Google confirms. Hey, there we go. There we go. Well, now we know it's true. 
Okay. Yeah. Uh, what else are we got? Oh, you know, the other thing I was going to bring up, I talked about this. I t- so this is all because their website got slow for a bit and people had to wait. Mm-hmm. I heard stories of people waiting eight hours and then not being able to get a ticket after that. This father said that he felt like a failure as a father. He had failed his job as a father because he was not able to get this ticket. So <clears throat> that's sad, I guess. You know, you wanted to get that that ticket, whatever. Um, the other thing is, so you're going to turn to the government. The government's really good at this. They're especially good at websites, right? They're really, really good at websites. So good at websites. We know yeah. that that's who you turn to. And so I started looking at the, this healthcare.gov debacle. If you remember, uh, if anyone remembers that, when they released it, uh, it crashed. And it crashed. Now, keep in mind, Ticketmaster was dealing with 14 million people on the website at one time trying to get tickets to Taylor Swift concerts. Well, the the healthcare.gov website, whose original budget was about $400 million for the website, uh, it crashed because 35,000 people tried to visit it at the same time after the President of the United States announced the website. 35,000 people from the United States tried to get on the website, and the website crashed. And I think um, I I pulled up some of the numbers. They ended up having to double the cost of the website. I even saw estimates from a Harvard paper, uh, well over a billion dollars for what the website actually ended up costing. Uh, But that included some other costs from the marketplace. And let's see, they ended up getting it to where they could have, yeah, let's see, 250,000 people got on. They got it to where they could eventually hold 35,000. Sorry, that's what they could handle. And after the first month, let me see, the website worked 42% of the time. After the first month every that it time. was open. Every time. It worked every time. So so I just don't know about turning to these people to try and fix this problem. And there's an actual monopoly, like what you said. You know? A monopoly, it's not only There are many. You're you're the only seller. Uh, you know, that's one thing. They've also, you know, people point out you need to be able to keep other people from competing with you. You have to be able to hold out your competition. And I think not just because you have a better product, but because you can actually hold off your competition uh, through through force. Most people would use the government. It's tough to find an example of a, of a monopoly that wasn't just because they had a better product or they had a cheaper product. Well, and, you know, you, you talk about people who were, you know, that wait in line. First of all, it's, it's not a line, right? I mean, it's <laughs> online. They wait. I, I, I mean, I get... If you're from New Jersey, it's the same thing. That irks me every time. Uh, people wait online for eight hours and get denied services. That sounds like socialized medicine. That sounds like a normal one for Canadian healthcare and the NHS, mm-hmm. which are, and again, this is not a drag on the people in that kind. There are, this is the problem when you have a centralized system that does all of this central planning. And yeah, it's a problem also with massive insurance companies too. People get, people wait and wait and wait and wait and wait and get denied care. We've all played that game. It sucks so bad. So there are clearly problems in both the public and, uh, more or let's call it the less public sector when it comes to healthcare as well. 
but this is this just sounds like classic government how are they going to fix this they're the ones with the monopolies who are causing people to wait in online for and usually when it's a government service you're waiting in line new jersey um they're waiting in line for eight hours and getting denied hair they're getting denied hair unless your gavin with good hair they're getting denied (laughs) hair he'll never get denied hair all right no he knows exactly where to get all the good hair you know yeah so they got they already got the doj on this and what i really Mm -hmm. like to see is the doj will catch this quick transition to another quick topic is the doj really jumping on this hunter biden laptop story that cbs news finally broke to the world uh, the other day did you happen to watch their the cbs news special segment on it it was five minutes long oh that's well again i love it so much because again we talk about differences in media consumption network news still really thinks that people like the five minute quickies okay. <laughs> i mean you know then in a couple of years they'll realize people don't and will have moved on to something else but no i it is clever right because and i say this sincerely what it does is it now allows the media to say we are the champions of transparency and accountability. We are asking the tough questions. And you can see, we just asked the tough questions or we told you the tough answers <laughs> about what's happening with the laptop. And now we will tell you all the tough answers about the horrible things that the Republicans are doing as well. Because you could look Look, we, we talked about the laptop, guys. Guys, we did the laptop. We talked about it. Now there's a Republican run con Congress and we're going to be we're going to be harsh with both sides. And I, I know it's super clever. And I say this as someone who has no shortage of things to critique about what a Republican Congress is going to do from any angle and every angle. So. I'm, I just looked at it, you know, I heard that and I thought, okay, golf claps for CBS. Five minute segment needs a little work, you know, pad it out. Okay. Mm-hmm. Pad it out and maybe drag some Republicans into the mix. Talk about fascism. Cause that's really mm-hmm. hot to talk about right now. And then they can go and critique a Republican-led Congress. It's really smart. It's really bright. And if the media were mostly conservative, we know they would do the same thing. They would. And that's uh, where a lot of people go wrong is thinking that things would be different if it were uh, flipped around the other way. No, it would be pretty, pretty much the same. Just some a little bit different topics. The other thing I think they're doing is the House, I think they did announce that they're going to do this investigation. And they know all the things that are that are on this laptop or on the hard drive. And I I think that now it's not just, okay, they can talk bad about Republicans. They can also pretend like they haven't been trying to hide this story the whole time because they right. they haven't talked about it as if it were a real thing one bit. Last time CBS talked about it, it was probably Russian disinformation. And now, since they're actually going to do an investigation and they're actually going to have the hard drive and people are going to be talking about it officially in Congress, well, now the media needs to come out and say, oh, yeah, we've already been telling our people about this thing. 
Of course. Now, that investigation thing, yeah, we told you guys in that five-minute quickie uh, just uh, just last month. That's not news to you guys. You heard that from us first, you know, your your source of truth. In this, uh, in this five-minute segment, by the way, they mention that Joe Biden is likely the big guy in, in their segment, that he's the 10% for the big guy. CBS News sa- says this. So they still don't know it was me. What? I'm the big guy. <laughs> I'm the big guy. I wish. Um, you know, I nice. wish I was in a nice politically connected family. That would be cool. Wouldn't you do the same I, I, thing, though? <laughs> it, yeah, I, well, I mean, you know, you'd, you'd win some, you'd lose some, right? Because, again, you I think you would come out super bureaucratized. I mean, that's what happened with Gab with good hair. Um, and, yeah, it's it's so, but it is, I'm not looking forward to all of these House hearings. I mean, if you thought the January 6th committee hearings were bad. Wait until we get to the hearings on the laptop and the hearings on COVID policy. I mean, you could actually do a really, I think there need to be hearings on, not on the laptop, uh, there need to be hearings on COVID policy. I mean, how is the laptop even a government story? I guess, you know, it signifies maybe corruption or something. That was a media story. That was a media burying, uh, burying something that shouldn't have been buried and was relevant news. But the there could be an opportunity to really do powerful and important and necessary hearings. And I've written about this for you guys on goodmorningliberty.us. You can see my investigative reporting on this. Broke things before Project Veritas, y'all. <laughs> um, but uh, you, you could read some stuff where I've said, here's what Congress should do. Here are the questions we should be asking. I don't think that's going to happen. I think we're going to have a made for... Fox News, OANN, primetime. And I say this, again, as someone who, I, these are because they're more conservative networks, not because there's anything necessarily bad about them at all. Like, I, they're they're very cool. But it would be a made-for-primetime type of event where it's just, I don't know who's going to ask the tough questions anymore. I don't either. And, uh, I mean, it's all just posturing for the next election. That's, that's really all they're, that's really all they're doing. It's going to be a bunch of grandstanding. And so, Hey, uh, I hate to throw this in there, but I, uh, I messed up and I didn't clear off my, uh, hard drive for the podcast board before we started. And so I got like, three, oh, no. I got like three minutes left on this thing and oh, no. before it's over before I can do it, okay. before I can record anything else. So do you want to switch your, your thing? That's, do you wanna, I, or do you, or do you just want to end can't. it? Do you just want to call it? I, I have to export everything that we just did, which will take uh, like 40 minutes for that to export. Okay. And then I would clear off the thing. And then I would be able to keep going after that because I don't have an extra uh, little drive nearby right now i see you got you got to talk to rogan's guy i'm trying to not take three minutes to explain to you that we've got less than three minutes left (laughs) well it's been real then it's been really real and i think we got to i don't know 40 percent of the topics so that's not too bad (laughs) 
it's pretty good. No, yeah, no. I, honestly, yeah. you know what we can do is yeah. we can do alternating between uh, Charlie and you, Char- and Charlie and Amanda, and then we'll have, the, and then we'll have the uh, live group vote. I. That's not going to go well for Charlie. I'll go ahead and warn him and uh, let you know of that right now. But no, I think, you know, if we, we're still recording right now, but if we did uh, some really good prep beforehand, I really do hear like a Crystal and Sager thing going on right now. I think I we could too, do, man. I don't know if you, I don't know if you listen to, to, to Breaking Points I, at all, but. I do. Yeah. I don't know if you're being sarcastic, but I'm totally not, especially because like everything's on Zoom now because of the strike. And then I, I have time, oodles of time, and I'm about to be in your time zone. Yeah. So we can party. That'd be good. And the and the Zoom thing, it works well with their format. I'm not trying to really just rip off their format, but they do the monologue style format. So it's not a whole lot of back and forth until you get to the end of that statement. So I'm we'll talk. We'll talk about it. Amanda, tell everyone where they can go to see all of your stuff because we're gonna you got like a minute right now. <laughs> All right. You can go to my Twitter at Ajax the Griff. That is A-J-A-X-T-H-E-G-R-I-F-F. And you can also check out uh, my Young Voices contributor page. Uh, and that is great. I want to make sure I get the, I get the address right. Um, so yes, it is young-voices.com slash advocate slash Amanda slash Griffiths. <laughs> Hyphen. I'll put but the just, I'll put the link it, in the show notes. Yeah, please do, please <laughs> okay. do. And backslash forward slash. But that is where you can find my latest media appearances and published works. You can see my face, my fresh face. It's so fresh, it's so face. <laughs> it is so much fresh and so much face right now is happening. You can see it, uh, and you can uh, follow my work. And yeah, I like it. All right, we're getting out of here, Amanda. I'm going to put links to everything. This was fun. I'm glad you were. You were able to do this. I'm glad we finally made it. I think it's like two or three months we've been talking about doing this right now. And we're going to make it happen more often. I've actually got to end the show. We don't have to end the Zoom call, but I got to end the show by hitting okay, this button totally and saying, uh, make sure everyone subscribes and clicks all the links and does all the great things that we always tell you to do. And until next time, y'all have yourself a good morning, a good morning, Liberty. 